content warning, this episode contains disturbing and triggering ideas regarding claustrophobia and insomnia. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hi guys. Howdy. What's up? What is up? Welcome back, guys. Welcome back, Laura. We have been gone for the last two weeks um, because we have a whole mess of shit going on, and you guys know about it, and sometimes we just can't get it together to record. So we apologize. Um, Truly, we apologize. It was Laura had stuff, and then she was like, oh, I'm good. And then I'm like, no, I've got problems now. And so we just couldn't. We just couldn't get it fucking together. So we are recording our Halloween episode, um, and we're giving that to you guys today. It is a week after Halloween, and we are very sorry, um, as you can see from our background, um, our spooky background, um, that I really worked hard at like finding a really cool background, and I had this whole idea of (laughs) doing a fucking overlay where a spider actually like crawled across like our cameras and like over it and and even koi was like don't do that means that yeah that's (laughs) what koi i showed koi and he was like i don't fucking want to see that yeah, he it's goes. Gonna fuck me up the whole time and be like, "Ew." <laughs> yes, yeah. Like every now and then, I was just gonna casually like have this spider crawl across the cameras, and he goes, "No, no. you're gonna trigger people's arachnophobia." He goes, "I hate that." I'm like, "Okay, bad idea. Never mind." So then I was like, "All right, I'll have like just this creepy ghost lady just kind of morph in from the background," and then that didn't work. It was a whole thing. So anyway, right, well. Here we are. Here we are, guys. Uh, welcome to our. Um, we've extended the Halloween season to um, Monday the sixth. Uh, welcome. Um, we are also behind on our short stories. We will not have one for you this week, but we will next week. So, uh, you guys know, and you guys have told us a number of times that you understand, and we are grateful for your patience. We love you very, very much. You will also notice that we're not dressed up, <laughs> <laughs> and. It, it, when we dress up for Halloween, Laura, everybody loves to see us in our costumes. Um, and I was very, very excited for my costume this year. I What, what were you going to be? So we, you know, we did Beetlejuice last year. Yeah. And I had invested so much money in decorations that I was like, we're doing this shit again this year. So, <laughs> but instead of doing the black and white striped suit like I did last year, I had the wedding outfit. <gasps> the tux, so, the old tux. Yeah, the tux. And then, um, Ange- and then we, you know, use the same decorations. And then Angelique had the red wedding dress that went on. The dress, thing. yes. So... Um, we think we're going to do something different next year. This year, I mean, I really didn't get my house together at all. I didn't even break out nearly any of my decorations. You told me that, yeah. literally behind like all month. So I was just saying, I'm like, we're going to decorate for Christmas now to make sure that it actually gets up in time. Fuck yes. It's just been really busy. Um, Yeah. I did get to go, as you know, to Vegas on Wednesday this week and I went yes. and saw you two in the sphere. Tell me all of, was, was that fuck. amazing or what the fuck? 
It really was. I mean, the the venue is beautiful. I mean, they spent like two billion dollars on it. Mm. Um, but the, I mean, the screens are crazy. It's almost like you don't know if you're at a concert, or you're watching a movie, or like it's this whole <laughs> immersive experience. Immersive you don't experience. know if you should dance or just watch or like where to look. I feel like I could go back again and see a completely different show because there's oh, so I'm much sure. going on all around you. Yeah, but it's it's amazing. It's a whole different experience um so you highly recommend a show the sphere yeah of course you i do i do and i went to the haunted museum she you guys she fucking i didn't even know she was i either okay i'm sure you told me you were going but i forgot i didn't know if i was gonna have time to do the museum so i wasn't like locked in i got our tickets that morning i knew you were gonna see you too but i guess i just Mm -hmm. didn't I guess I, I, did, I didn't remember. And she texts me a picture of the sign. And I'm like, are you in fucking Vegas? <laughs> Tell we me, literally I, flew for the day. We went for one day and came back. And that's the beauty. Went to work. That's the beauty of living six hour, a six hour drive from Vegas is that a flight is 45 minutes. You could totally do that. It's super oh, easy, yeah. yeah, to just fly in and, and fly cheap. out. We got like two tickets for like seven. Hella bucks. cheap, yeah, exactly. Um, I remember I had um, when I was working in hotels, I had an interview in San Diego for a sales manager position at one of the Wyndham hotels there, and they flew me um, in for the interview. And I had the interview. I went to lunch with my friend, and then I flew home. I was there for six hours. But again, that's the beauty of Phoenix is you're so close to San Diego, L.A., Vegas. So, yeah, yeah a day trip to Vegas is literally a day trip to Vegas. Cheaper oh, than yeah. the cost of gas there and back. Oh, yeah. And much less time. Yeah. Yeah. We did rent a car so that we could do the museum. We went to this really nice place for breakfast that had these, like, crazy pancakes. And, you know, so we just made a fun day out of it. And that's cool. And, yeah, people watched Vegas is fucking great for that shit. Yeah. Um Scooch over. Yeah. There's nothing like a million drunk people from Ohio to really like. <laughs> <the day. laughs> so was uh, Zach Bagans there? No, but. No. Um, Did you meet his mom? I hear she's there a lot. Is she? I don't know. Uh, yeah. um, but it was, I mean, I have to say the museum is put on fantastically. That's what like, I've heard. Yeah. It is. It runs like a well-oiled machine. Like it is bam, bam. You know what I mean? Like, and really well done. Like it's very cool. There's tons of creepy shit in there. The whole vibe is, you know, spot on. So I, it cool. is expensive, but I I felt like it was, I got my money's worth. Right. Well, that's good. For two hours too. Oh, really? It's okay. Long. Yeah, it's long. I thought it was just like, you know, walk around, see weird shit weird no, it's shit. like a whole production thing that you go through there's jump scares though that's why i'm like no i can't and Thank that and the doll i can't do that little ptd <laughs> you don't have to go in the room with the doll if you don't want to um so i of course went in there and was like hey what's up um but you did say hello and goodbye <laughs> i did say right? hello and goodbye okay. they do request that you do that um so you don't piss her off and then um but yeah, the jump scares, there's like two, but it, they don't get everybody. It's kind of, you know, they're kind of oh, fun. Oh, it's good. Not big, they're not, it's not like a haunted house mixed with a museum. It's mostly the museums. Oh, good. So what was it like seeing the Dybbuk box knowing it's fake? They don't act, they're not saying it's fake. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely not. Zach Bagans will never admit that, even though Kevin Manis has said it's fake. Oh, yeah. No, they're locked in. 
you know, that and that now they're, you know, with the Post Malone stuff, they're all in on that. Oh, yeah. And, um, I bought, I bought it. Have another divot box that's like got the roots, the other one, you know, mm. there's the whole lore of it and everything. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. They're locked in. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's some stuff that seems a little, I don't know, like capitalizing on people's tragedies i mean i guess that's like ted bundy's car does he have ted bundy's car no he has jack kevorkian's death van yes yes okay that's there although i gotta be honest that was kind of cool um i love like serial killer shit so like I'm oh also, for sure like, eh. yeah yeah no it was more like the i don't know sharon tate's wedding dress Ooh, and like a chair that was in where Michael Jackson died, like that kind of stuff, just because it's oh. somewhat related to a celebrity, but not haunted at all, like that kind of stuff. That oh. always kind of bothers me, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Did you see Ed Gein's Cauldron? Yes. <gasps> Honestly, probably the highlight of the fucking museum for me. Because really, oh god, you know, I'm he. He's a creepy motherfucker. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know what happened with that fucking thing. So uh-huh. it's like, I think honestly, that is probably the creepiest thing in the fucking museum. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have serial killer artwork, that kind of stuff, like pictures. He's got some of Richard Ramirez's shit, doesn't he? Yeah, he sure does. Ooh. Richard Ramirez, John Wayne Gacy, Manson, um, Bundy, da- um doesn't yeah, he have some of Manson's ashes? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, wow. Just that area alone is probably worth it if you're into the true crime. Which, of course, we are. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm kind of with you on the on Sharon Tate's wedding dress. Oh, look at you know. Like, here's the fucked up line, though. Like, I love serial killer stuff, but I don't. And. To glorify them as fucked up in and of itself. And I'm, I'm not right. trying to do that. It intrigues me. Like so many people, the true crime, sure. um, especially serial killers. But right. um, when it comes to putting stuff up from the victims, I don't like it. No, no, no. Yeah, I don't. I think, yeah, I completely agree. That's not. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so worth it, huh? I thought so. Yeah, okay. I really did. All right. Well, say. next time I'm in Phoenix, we'll have to go. Um, we'll have to go. Right. Yeah, we'll have to do it. Just because now I'm like, I gotta see it. Um, although now you'll know where, unless they move the jump scares around, you'll know where they are at and can forewarn me and go ahead of me so that I can like scream into your back. That sounds like so much fun for me. Or run you down, or <laughs> run you, or push you, down. <laughs> push you down, <laughs> and That's run the hell out bad. of it. Just take her. I'm fucking use Angelica's body armor. (laughs) You can't seriously. I'll leave you guys in the dust. Um, Okay, so you have thumbs up for the sphere, thumbs up for the uh, Zach Bagans Haunted Museum. Um, it sounds like it was a really cool trip. It sounds like it was a really cool trip, a really fun trip. I think things like that are needed. I know that you and I don't get to do as many fun things as we used to simply because, you know, we're poor. Um, yeah. Bills, people, bills, people, children, (laughs) you know, refrigerators. (laughs) Yeah. I also got a new refrigerator. (laughs) 
Yeah. It's very beautiful. <laughs> so fun. Well, mm. I mean, I'm glad you got a new fridge that you love, but I'm sorry that you had to get a new fridge <laughs> at all. Um, well, okay, so you are going to go as Groom Beetlejuice this yes. year. And you did not tell me what you were going to do. Sorry, I went on a tirade about No, that. it's totally fine. <laughs> So I wanted to share that with you. I was like, I can't wait to talk. I uh, dude, I, I, I was immediately going to ask. Um, so I, uh, <laughs> I was going to go as you. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Like I've got the gray, I've got the gray shirt on. I've got the black hoodie. <laughs> And Laura, I got to tell you, I, sorry, the glasses. Also, these glasses are my glasses, but my glasses are clear, but I couldn't afford, I poor, I was like, who could I go as? And I sat there talking to my mom. I'm like, what if I fucking go as Laura? (laughs) And she goes, how would you do that? And I'm like, gray t-shirt, get a black zip up hoodie, which here I got a ton of them. I'll get a pair of black hipster glasses. I'll drink a white energy drink. And I'm Laura. And she was like, (laughs) (laughs) she's like, that's actually kind of fucking perfect. It's a black sweatshirt, but it is not a zippy. It's just like a little pullover. Yeah. See, White so here's. See, I'm totally not who you. Yeah, are. I mean, not it. I I have you pegged all wrong. You're right. No, no, no. But then I started running out of time and money, so I'm like, I need black glasses. Where am I going to get black glasses? So I painted the frames of my clear glasses black, <laughs> so that I could be you. That's awesome, and, and I can be me every day. And I even did this. Ah. Wait a minute. Oh, were you going to swap us? No, I was actually, oh, it's in white. I actually was going to have my name be Laura Ackerman. Um, Yeah. So anyway, I was going to be you. And then. Oh my God, I love it. I was going to do the TikTok reveal. So I had did that. I had done that TikTok where I did my TikTok when I was the voodoo priestess. And then last year, the one I did for the Mad Hatter. And I was like, this year I'm going to give the people what they want. Something that's scary and shocking and will it'll freak everybody out to their core. And I was so excited. And like a handful of people knew I was doing this. So Jennifer knew, of course. Zach. Um, also, my new friend Tracy. I told her that she's a <laughs> listener of the, you know, a longtime listener of the show. I told her and everybody was like, it's fucking perfect. Oh, my God. It's going to be so great. I'm like, I know it's going to be super. So. Uh, my TikTok, I had a whole reveal planned for you, Laura, truly. I was going to put a sticky note over the camera so you couldn't see when you logged in what I looked like. And then I was just going to play my TikTok that I was going to make. And basically, I, I had on a Koi shorts. I was going to wear Koi shorts and my black shoes. <laughs> I have these black tennis shoes. I'm like, wear those. And then I was going to do a lip sync to this, this segment of the real Slim Shady. Nice. Where it says, and there's millions of us just like me, who cuss like me, who just don't give a fuck like me. That whole thing. I've practiced it for months. Like, I got this idea in August. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it just was one of those things where like you and I just could not get it together. And I'm like, I can't post this on TikTok because I don't know actually how often you get on TikTok. So I'm like, I need to. um, Well, and also I didn't know if Angelique was going to see it or if one of her daughters or who was going to see it. So I'm like, I have to record the TikTok right before we start to record the show so that Mm -hmm. I can post it and then download it and then put it on an overlay and play it on the show. And it was going to be a whole thing. And then when the, you know, the video was done playing, then I'd take the sticky off and here I would be you it was going to be brilliant. The funny thing is I probably wouldn't even have noticed. <laughs> I, but like, I thought you were going to dress up. I, <laughs> I have to tell you, the TikTok was going to be nine seconds long because he says that whole fucking verse in nine seconds. And yeah. I know the words, but here's what was difficult. And this is what I was complaining to Tracy and Jennifer and Zach about. Was anybody that would listen. Anybody that would listen that wasn't you. And you're usually who I complain to about shit like this. Look at me. The hard, the difficult thing was, and I was like, I cannot wait to tell her this. I got to take this fucking hoodie off, by the way. I'm like, Rosie, I don't know how you're sitting there. <laughs> fucking hoodie. I'm like, eh. It's very difficult to be you, Laura. It's very hard to be you because the TikTok was going to be, and I'll still do it, guys, but me walking up to the camera because in order for people to kind of even know that I'm you, you have to see the whole outfit, the boy shorts, the black shoes, the hoodie, (laughs) the whole bit. So so I I feel like you have to realize that I'm sitting here in black shorts. I stole Zane's black Crocs because <laughs> I had to go to Target. <laughs> Do I fucking know you, you or what? Yes. The more I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so I had to do it so you would see the whole outfit and the end of the TikTok was going to be be me putting on the glasses because that's like the crew de gras, right? Like that's how you know I'm Laura. So like I said, I've been practicing this for months and it's so difficult to be you because Laura, I did. I fucking, I was like, all right, I need to know what Laura's. So my mom and I were practicing it and she was like, Laura doesn't stand that way. And I'm like, she doesn't. So I went back through video of us on investigations. You're doing a character profile. I literally was, yes, I was. So I'm like, okay. I'm the actor's studio. A thousand percent. Because I'm like, okay, so when I put my hands in my pockets, I leave my thumbs out. I always leave my thumbs out. I'm like, Laura puts her whole hand in her pocket. So I have to put my whole hand in my pocket. I said, Laura doesn't like put her weight on one foot or the other. She just stands. But me, I put my weight on one leg. I kick one leg out, my hips out. Like it is so difficult because I am, even in the rap, when I was practicing the rap, I was practicing it and I was like, you know, doing this. And and I was, and my mom goes, Laura doesn't do that. I'm like, I know I can't help it. It's just natural for me to be showy. And she's like, you got to rein it in, Carrie. Laura's so chill. And I'm like, I'm trying. (laughs) So I'm like, it is so fucking hard to be Laura for nine seconds. (laughs) Imagine I do it all day, every day. It's very difficult. I'm like, I'm like, I just, I can't wait to tell her that, you know what? 
I just might be the next best thing, but not quite you. It's true. So, um, yeah, I was like, it's perfect. It's the perfect costume. I'm poor, and all I have to do is buy glasses, and I have all the stuff. Um, Yeah, so this has been in my refrigerator for, like, I don't fucking know, a month. I'm like, oh, I gotta get the white. I gotta get the white energy drink. It's gotta be white. My mom's like, why is it gotta be white? I'm like, I don't know. She just always drinks the white one. (laughs) I bought a case of Costco. <laughs> I like, that's my favorite one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I think I actually, I kept all my hats from my previous costumes. I got to put the, the Mad Hatter one up, but I think I'm going to keep this as my, as my costume <laughs> for you this year. So anyway, uh, yeah, I was going to be you and it was going to be great, but... I still want to see this TikTok. I'm a thousand percent. I will still. I will still try I will and do it. Figure out how to log back into my TikTok for you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank that. you. You know I'm just gonna fucking like text it to you. It's fine. And put it on the Facebook or the social media, so you'll see it. It's fine. All right, good. Uh, anyway, so uh, after the catch up, Laura and I obviously haven't seen each other and recorded together in a while. So thanks, guys, for sitting through that chaos. Um, I don't have any EVPs, really. Like I said, we're going to be back to our short stories next week. Um, If if you guys are fans of Hillbilly Horror Stories, I was a guest on their show, and that episode uh, dropped yesterday, which is Sunday, November 5th, which is today. I want to go listen to it. I I think it's out. I I checked earlier. He said they put it up like later in the evening. Um, so when I checked this before we recorded, it wasn't up yet, but wait, hang on. Yeah, it's not up yet, but it's coming. It's going to be out today. Also, if you guys are Patreons of Hillbilly Horror Stories, um, I am on a Patreon episode where I talk about some of my scariest, um, things that happened in paranormal investigations. So check those out. I'm very, very honored. Hillbilly Horror Stories was one of the podcasts that inspired uh, me to start History of a Haunting. So I was um, fangirling a see a little bit. Um, and then he said that he's friends with Christine from And That's Why We Drink. And I was like, oh, that was the other podcast that made me want to make my own pod. I was I freaked out. So hopefully I, I come off as cool, but if I don't, well, no one's surprised. Um, the other thing I want to say, I mean, Jesus <laughs> Christ, I swear to God, oh, I'm sweating. I'm like so hot, um, just with all the like excitement. The other thing I want to say is, um, as most all of the world knows, uh, Matthew Perry died uh, a week ago this past Saturday. And um, I would like to dedicate this episode to him. I don't know if he believed in ghosts. I don't know if he likes scary stuff. Um, But what I do know is that he was, um, Chandler Bing was my favorite character on Friends. And um, in fact, all of my screen names and everything are Ms. Chandler Bong. Um, So uh, it's definitely, um, Friends is a big um, thing between me and Jennifer. And uh, she and I both cried when we heard the news. So. Um, to all of his fans out there that are also fans of ours, um, I just I just wanted to dedicate this episode to Matthew Perry. Um, like I said, I have no idea if he even believed in ghosts, but um, I will also say that for those of you who are trying to contact his spirit through seances and Ouija boards, stop that. That's fucking gross. So that's all I wanted to say about that. There's been a lot of stuff going on in the paranormal groups that are like, I'm trying to summon him from my basement or whatever. Um, 
so yeah, don't don't do that because no. Uh, to that end, this is our Halloween episode, guys, and um, I love the title. I made the title. I was super happy about the title. Ooh, creepy! It's super Halloween creepy. Episode. Yes, creepy Halloween episode. That guy's licking the wall. Uh, it's just all bad. Um, so we this year we are going to um tell you guys. Mm-hmm. We each picked, or we each got assigned, uh, a creepy pasta. So um, I went through and I researched the top ten scariest creepy pastas, and then what we did was we took the top, the five that I thought were the scariest, and we emailed them to Erin Bush, and then she randomly chose which one we were going to do. I don't know what Laura's going to do. She doesn't know what I'm going to do. Um, so, Laura, you are up first. Uh, what right. is your story? I told you that I hoped you picked the one that I wanted to do and didn't get. So... The Russian sleep experience. Yes, that was it. <laughs> that oh was god, it. I, oh my god, you're so happy. I All am right. so so happy. Um, also, woof. Uh, yeah, so go grab a glass of wine and settle in. Yes, this is a good one. Yeah, it's kind of gruesome. All right, <laughs> just which is again right up our alley. <laughs> Me a little. All right. So for those who don't know. Uh, the Russian sleep experiment is a supposedly factual account of experimentation acted on on subjects by the Soviet government and military in the wake of World War II. So the experiment meant to explore the effects of sleep deprivation on the human body. And it was also used to test a new gas that could keep people awake for days at a time. Mm-mm, love it. No, I mean, don't love it. Not right. love it. <laughs> I love right. it. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> The report <clears throat> documents the degeneration of those experimented upon, uh, commonly referred to as the test subjects. So the horrifying results of these experiments are kind of what we're going to talk about. All right. <laughs> so this is kind of how it all starts, right? I love your trepidation. You're like, I don't want to say any of this. <laughs> I really don't. This is all disgusting. <laughs> My, I like, forgot it's all about fine mine in too. the beginning, and then it just fucking goes downhill. All right, <laughs> much like most of our episodes. All right, so okay, so <clears throat> Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant, <clears throat> meth. All right, they were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor. I think I lived this in the right? fucking 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I've seen the effects. In mm-hmm. um, they were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them since it was toxic in high concentrations. So this was all before closed circuit cameras. So they had to, uh, they had only microphones and five inch thick glass, like porthole sized windows into the chamber to monitor them. Oh, okay. So the chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep, but no bedding, running water, and toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. Oh. So the test subjects were supposedly political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. So everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised falsely that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. 
So their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past. And the general tone of the conversations took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. So after five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering to the microphones in one-way mirrored portholes. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Oddly, they all seemed to think they could win the trust of their experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected that this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. Oh my he God. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. So the researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. Oh shit. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it. Or rather, they didn't react to it. Oh, okay. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The second, the two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. Oh, shit. Wait, they pasted them with the poop? With their poop. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) That's the new wallpaper. All right, so the screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. So after three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working, since they thought it was impossible that no sound could be coming with five people inside. Right. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. Oh. So on the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives. Um, They were afraid were either dead or vegetables, right? Right. So they announced, we're opening the chamber to test the microphone. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, we no longer want to be freed. <gasps> so debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Oh my God. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. So the chamber was flushed with the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air. And immediately voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones to turn the gas back on. Oh, my God. The chamber was opened and soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. What? Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that any of them in life. (sighs) The food rations past day five had not been touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subject's thighs and chest <clears throat> stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber. Ah! The drain. <laughs> yeah. 
and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely Fuck. how much of the oh. water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. Yeah. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. Mm-hmm. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, yeah. not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. So they were just clawing at them. Hmm. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abdominal organs below the rib cage of all four test subjects had been removed, while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. Oh my god, this was a terrible idea! Why did we... I know! Oh my god, I think I got the craziest fucking thing. Oh my god! <laughs> I know when I read this, I was like, for like, it's crazy. Okay, so the skin and most of the muscles attached to the rib cage had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. That they had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working digesting food. It quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh that their they had ripped off and eaten own. over the course of days. Yes, because they didn't eat anything after day five of the food that was given. Oh, fuck off. So most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. Right, fuck they this, can- I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Shoot me, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on lest they fall asleep. Because they were addicted to it by now, I'm I'm guessing. I'm guessing, yeah. So to everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another (gasps) was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off. Oh, God! And his legs severed, and his legs severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives if you count the ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. They committed suicide? The soldiers? Oh, God. So in the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of a morphine derivative, and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of one doctor. One heart was seen to beat for a, f- um, for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was more air in his vascular system than blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word more over and over, weaker and weaker until he finally fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility with two, the two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. Oh my God. Right. So the most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back in his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative that they had given him to prepare I'm gonna for the fucking, surgery. I'm going to fucking vomit. <laughs> so he fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier was holding that wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under. 
and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in a struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. So the second survivor... Right. The second survivor had been the first of the of the group of five to start screaming, his vocal cords destroyed. He was unable to beg or object to surgery, and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly they try the surgery without anesthetic and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should be medically possible for the page medically i'm guessing impossible to, for the patient to still be alive one terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers when the surgery ended the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly attempting to talk while struggling assuming this must be something of drastic importance the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message it was simple keep cutting The other two I regret everything. <laughs> right? Well, this is the one you wanted. I fucking regret two- everything. <laughs> <clears throat> the other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well. Although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects <laughs> can only follow the I'm attending sorry. researchers with their eyes. <laughs> It's nervous laughter. I'm so uncomfortable listening to this. All right. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced and they were placed back into the chamber, awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers, facing the wrath of the military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. Yes. Uh, The commanding officer, a former KGB agent, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected but were overruled. So in preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had the restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. So it was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. Um, One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds with all his might. First left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering from brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of a deep sleep. 
then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves show the same flatlines as one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. Jesus. Uh, He pointed his gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed as, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things, not with you, he screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you? He demanded, I must know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? The subject asked. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. Fuck off. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. The researcher paused and aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out. So nearly free. That's it. Oh my god. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I am going to have to put an extra strength fucking content warning <laughs> on this episode. Yeah. Um Oh my god. Yeah. That puts the creepy in creepypasta, okay? <laughs> dude, dude. Oh my yeah. god, I can't, I just, oh Jesus. I am so sorry. Uh, <laughs> this was a terrible idea! <laughs> and mine is not fucking great either. Holy shit! Oh, I'm dead. Oh my god, I am actually going to have to pre-record a content warning for the audio listeners because I have I mean I knew I <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Alright guys, you know what? Well let's just get into it with mine. Um like, and you're welcome. <laughs> fuck man. I need I need to refill my wine. Oh my god. Jesus. And the way you told it, I was like the whispering in the micro uh-uh no thank you fuck off i jesus <laughs> also who comes up with this i don't this know. is like from the minds of saw james yeah, wan and lee winnell are centipede. some of the yes <laughs> okay all right here's mine oh okay, uh great. what was your wait. <laughs> um what was your yeah we'll do sources at the end oh creepypasta.com Oh, okay. So mine is creepypasta.fandom.com. Mine is No End House. So mine is written in a different in, in a different way. So it's basically a journal of a man. And so I'm basically I'm just gonna be reading his journal. Okay. So let me start by saying that Peter Terry was addicted to heroin. We were friends in college and continued to be after I graduated. Notice that I said I. He dropped out after two years of barely cutting it. After I moved out of the dorms and into a small apartment, I didn't see Peter as much. We would talk online every now and then. AIM was king in pre-Facebook years. There was a period where he wasn't online for about five weeks straight. I wasn't worried. He was pretty. He was a pretty notorious flake and drug addict, so I assumed he just stopped caring. 
Then one night I saw him log on. Before I could initiate a conversation, he sent me a message. Remember AOL Instant Messenger where you could see like, my name was uh, Ground Squirrel 211. Uh, so yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you could see like Ground Squirrel 211 has logged in, you know, so um, the message read, David, man, we need to talk. That was when he told me about the no end house. It got the name because no one had ever reached the final exit. The rules were pretty simple and cliche. Reach the final room of the building and you win $500. There were nine rooms in all. The house was located outside the city, roughly four miles from my house. Apparently, Peter had tried and failed. He was a heroin and who knows what the fuck addict, so I figured the drugs had got the best of him and he wigged out at a paper ghost or something. (laughs) He told me it would be too much for anyone, that it was unnatural. And this actually reminds me of McKamey Manor. Have you heard of that place? It's when we first started the podcast, um, a lot of my friends were sending me um, email messages about, have you heard about this place? And McKamey Manor is an actual like haunted house, not like haunted, like you and I go and investigate this place, but like an attraction. And if you can get through all of it, they give you like $10,000, but it's, it's um, like they can touch you. In this Mm -hmm. particular haunted house. And, like, they will put bugs on you. And, like, if you can get through the whole thing, they'll give you, like, ten grand. But it's a real place. And I was like, oh, shit, this sounds like McKinney Manor. And they were like, you should try it. And I was like, you could go fuck yourself. I'm not going to do that at all. I don't even (laughs) want to go to Zach Bagan's jump scares. (laughs) There was a place like that in Poland where they could touch you. And it was supposed to be, like... Like a scary house, kind of slash escape room whole thing, yeah. right? And uh, I tried to talk my friends into going, and they were like, no fucking way. <laughs> I was like, uh, nah, no Come fucking on. way. And they were like, no. <laughs> no. You go, and in then... some run-down house in the middle of, like... <laughs> and these places are real. That's why I was like, yeah. oh, like, shit. Like, they're like, mm-hmm. no, you can go ahead and go. We'll be here. You go right ahead and go, here and, and if, fun. <laughs> if you don't... Yeah, if you don't make it, then I'm happy to raise Zane for you. But no. Um, <laughs> that's not something that's ever going to happen. All right. I guess this is one of those places. So... He told me that it would be too much for anyone, that it was unnatural. I didn't believe him. I told him I would check it out the next night, and no matter how hard he tried to convince me otherwise, $500 sounded too good to be true, which is why a lot of people tried to do McKamey Manor. Mm -hmm. He goes, I had to go. I set out the following night. When I arrived, I immediately noticed something strange about the building. Have you ever seen or read something that shouldn't be scary, but for some reason a chill crawls up your spine? I walked toward the building and the feeling of uneasiness only intensified as I opened the front door. My heart slowed and I let out a a relieved sigh um, as I entered. The room looked like a normal hotel lobby decorated for Halloween. A sign was posted in place of a worker and it read, Room one this way. Eight more follow. Reach the end and you win. I chuckled as I made my way to the first door. The first area was almost laughable. The decor resembled Halloween, the Halloween aisle of a Kmart. 
complete with sheet ghosts and animatronic zombies that gave a static growl when you passed by. At the far end was an exit. It was the only door besides the one I entered through. I brushed through the fake spiderwebs and headed for the second room. I was greeted by fog as I opened the door to room two. The room definitely upped the ante in terms of technology. Not only was there a fog machine, but a bat hung from the ceiling and flew in a circle. Goodbye, I'm going to try to leave now. That's me saying that, not this guy. <laughs> you know how I am about bats. Um, scary. They seem to <laughs> they seem to have a Halloween soundtrack that would that one would find in a 99 cent store on loop somewhere in the room. I didn't see a stereo, but I guess they must have used a PA system. I stepped over a few toy rats that wheeled around and walked with a puffed chest across to the next area. I reached for that doorknob and my heart sank into my knees. I did not want to open that door. A feeling of dread hit me so hard I could barely even think. Logic overtook me after a few terrified moments and I shook it off and entered the room. Room three is when things began to change. On the surface, it looked like a normal room. There was a chair in the middle of the wood-paneled floor. A single lamp in the corner did a poor job of lighting the area, casting a few shadows across the floor and the walls. That was the problem. Shadows, plural. With the exception of the chair, with the exception of the chair shadow, there were others. I had barely walked in the door and I was already terrified. It was at that moment that I knew something wasn't right. I didn't even think as I automatically tried to open the door I came through. It was locked from the other side. That set me off. Was someone locking the doors as I progressed? There was no way I would have heard them. Was it a mechanical lock that set automatically? Maybe. But I was too scared to really think. I turned back to the room and the shadows were gone. The chair's shadow remained, but the others were gone. I slowly began to walk. I used to hallucinate when I was a kid, so I wrote off the shadows as a figment of my imagination. I began to feel better as I made it to the halfway point of the room. Jesus, he's only halfway? God. <laughs> this room reminds me of the chair room at OSR mm. that you sat in the chair. I was like, oh, God. Um, so he goes on and he says, I looked down as I took my steps and that's when I saw it or didn't see it. My shadow wasn't there. I didn't have time to scream. I ran as fast as I could to the other door and flung myself without thinking into the room beyond. The fourth room was possibly the most disturbing. As I closed the door, all light seemed to be sucked out and put back into the previous room. I stood there, surrounded by darkness, not able to move. I'm not afraid of the dark and never have been, but I was absolutely terrified. All sight had left me. I held my hand in front of my face, and if I didn't know what I was doing, I would never have been able to tell. Darkness doesn't, sub darkness doesn't describe it. I couldn't hear anything. It was dead silence. When you're in a soundproof room, you can still hear yourself breathing. You can hear yourself being alive. I couldn't. Hmm. I began to stumble forward for after a few moments. My rapidly beating heart, the only thing I could feel. There was no door in sight. Wasn't even sure there was one this time. The silence was then broken by a low hum. I felt something behind me. I spun around wildly, but could barely even see my nose. I knew it was there, though. Regardless of how dark it was, I knew something was there. The hum grew louder and closer. 
It seemed to surround me, but I knew whatever was causing the noise was in front of me, inching closer. I took a step back. I had never felt that kind of fear. I can't really describe true fear. I wasn't even scared I was going to die. I was scared of what the alternative was. I was afraid of what this thing had in store for me. Then the lights flashed for a second, and I saw it. Nothing. I saw nothing, and I know I saw nothing there. The room was again plunged into darkness, and the hum became a wild screech. I screamed in protest. I couldn't hear this goddamn sound for another minute. I ran backwards, away from the noise, and fumbled for the door handle. I turned and fell into room five. Before I describe room five, you have to understand something. I am not a drug addict. I've had no history of drug abuse or any sort of psychosis short of childhood, uh, short of the childhood hallucinations I mentioned earlier, and those were only when I was really tired or just waking up. I entered no end house with a clear head. <clears throat> After falling in from the previous room, my view of room five was from my back looking up at the ceiling. What I saw didn't scare me. It simply surprised me. Trees had grown into the room and towered above my head. The ceilings in this room were taller than the others, which made me think I was in the center of the house. I got up off the floor and dusted myself off and took a look around. It was definitely the biggest room of them all. I couldn't even see the door from where I was. Various brush and trees must have blocked my line of sight with the exit. Up to this point, I figured the rooms were going to start getting scarier, but this was a paradise compared to the last room. I also assumed whatever was in room four stayed back there. I was incredibly wrong. As I made my way deeper into the room, I began to hear what one would hear if they were in a forest. Chirping bugs and the occasional flap of birds seemed to be my only company in this room. That was the thing that bothered me the most. I heard the bugs and other animals, but I didn't see any of them. I began to wonder how big this house was. From the outside, when I first walked up to it, it looked like a regular house. It was definitely on the bigger side, but this was almost a full forest in here. The canopy covered my view of the ceiling, but I assumed it was still there, however high it was. I couldn't see any walls either. The only way I knew I was still inside was that the floor matched the other rooms, standard dark wood paneling. I kept walking, hoping that the next tree I passed would reveal the door. After a few moments of walking, I felt a mosquito fly onto my arm. I shook it off and kept going. A second later, I felt about 10 more land on my skin at different places. I felt them crawl up and down my arms and legs, and a few made their way across my face. No. Nope. I failed. Yeah. <laughs> and I dipped out when the bugs showed up. <laughs> I, right? like I could have probably made it that far, and then I'd be like, I'm fucking done. Yeah, then a heart attack would have immediately. Um, I flailed wildly to get them all off, but they just kept crawling. I looked down and let out a muffled scream, more of a whimper, to be honest. I didn't see a single bug. Not one bug was on me, but I could feel them crawling on me. I heard them fly by my face and sting my skin, but I couldn't see a single one. I dropped to the ground and began to roll wildly. Same, bro, same. Uh, <laughs> I was desperate. I hated bugs, especially ones I couldn't see or touch. But these bugs could touch me, and they were everywhere. 
I began to crawl. I had no idea where I was going. The entrance was just nowhere in sight, and I still hadn't even seen the exit. So I just crawled, my skin wriggling with the presence of those phantom bugs. After what seemed like hours, I found the door. I grabbed the nearest tree and propped myself up, mindlessly slapping my arms and legs to no avail. I tried to run, but I couldn't. My body was exhausted from crawling and dealing with whatever it was that was on me. I took a few shaky steps to the door, grabbing each tree on the way for support. It was only a few, I was only, it was only a few feet away when I heard it. The low hum from before. It was coming from the next room and it was deeper. I could almost feel it inside my body, like when you stand next to an amp at a concert. The feeling of the bugs on me lessened as the hum grew louder. As I placed my hand on the doorknob, the bugs were completely gone, but I couldn't bring myself to turn the knob. I knew that if I let go, the bugs would return and there was no way I would make it back to room four. I just stood there, my head pressed against the door marked six, and my hand shakily grasping the knob. The hum was so loud I couldn't even hear myself pretend to think. There was nothing I could do but move on. Room six was next, and room six was hell. Excuse me. I closed the door behind me, held my eyes shut, and my ears ringing. The hum was surrounding me. As the door clicked into place, the hum was gone. I opened my eyes in surprise, and the door that I had shut was gone. It was just a wall now. I looked around in shock. The room was identical to room three, the same chair and lamp, but with the correct amount of shadows this time. The only real difference was that there was no exit door, and the one I came in through was gone. As I said before, I had no previous issues in terms of mental instability, but at that moment, I fell into what I now know was insanity. I didn't scream. I didn't make a sound. At first, I scratched softly. The wall was tough, but I knew the door was there somewhere. I just knew it was. I scratched at where the doorknob was. I clawed at the wall frantically with both hands, my nails being filed down to skin against the wood. I fell silently to my knees. Sorry. The only sound in the room, the incessant scratching against the wall. I knew it was there. The door was there. I just knew it was there. I knew if I could just get past this wall. Are you all right? Me? I jumped off the ground and spun in oh, one motion. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to me? What's happening? <laughs> I know. I was like, You're invested. I jumped off the ground and spun around in one motion and leaned against the wall behind me and saw what it was that spoke to me. To this day, I regret ever turning around. There was a little girl. She was wearing a soft white dress that went down to her ankles. She had long blonde hair to the middle of her back and white skin and blue eyes. She was the most frightening thing I had ever seen, and I know that nothing in my life will ever be as unnerving as what I saw in her. While looking at her, I saw something else. Where she stood, I saw what looked like a man's body, only larger than normal and covered in hair. He was naked from head to toe, but his head was not human. His toes were hooves. It wasn't the devil, but at that moment, it might as well have been. The form had the head of a ram and the snout of a wolf. It was horrifying, and it was synonymous with the little girl in front of me. They were the same form. 
I can't really describe it, but I saw them at the same time. They shared the same spot in that room, but it was like looking at two separate dimensions. When I saw the girl, I saw the form. And when I saw the form, I saw the girl. I couldn't speak. I could barely even see. My mind was revolting against what it was attempting to process. I had been scared before in my life, and I had never been more scared than when I was trapped in the fourth room, but that was before room six. I just stood there staring at whatever it was that spoke to me. There was no exit. I was just trapped here with it. And then it spoke again. David, you should have listened. When it spoke, I heard the words of the little girl, but the other form spoke through my mind in a voice I won't attempt to describe. There was no other sound. The voice just kept repeating that sentence over and over in my mind, and I agreed. I didn't know what to do. I was slipping into madness, yet I couldn't take my eyes off of what was in front of me. I dropped to the floor. I thought I had passed out, but the room wouldn't let me. I just wanted it to end. I was on my side, my eyes wide open, and the form staring down at me. Scurrying across the floor in front of me was one of the battery-powered rats from the second room. The house was toying with me, but for some reason, seeing that rat pulled my mind back from whatever depths it was headed, and I looked around the room. I was getting out of there. I was determined to get out of that house and live and never think about this place again. I knew this room was hell, and I wasn't ready to take up a residency. At first, it was just my eyes that moved. I searched the walls for any kind of opening. The room wasn't that big, so it didn't take long to soak up the entire layout. The demon still taunted me, and the voice was growing louder as the form stayed rooted to where it stood. I placed my hand on the floor, lifted myself up to all four, and turned to scan the wall behind me. And then I saw something I couldn't believe. The form was now right at my back, whispering into my mind, how I shouldn't have come. I felt its breath on the back of my neck, but I refused to turn around. A large rectangle was scratched into the wood, with a small dent chipped away in the center of it. Right in front of my eyes, I saw the large seven I had mindlessly etched into the wall. I knew what it was. Room seven was just beyond that wall where room five was moments ago. I don't know how I had done it, Maybe it was just my state of mind at the time, but I had created the door. I knew I had. In my madness, I had scratched into the wall what I needed the most, an exit to the next room. Room seven was close. I knew the demon was right behind me, but for some reason it couldn't touch me. I closed my eyes and placed both hands on the large seven in front of me. I pushed. I pushed as hard as I could. The demon was now screaming in my ear. It told me I was never leaving. It told me that this was the end, but I wasn't going to die. I was going to live there in room six with it. I wasn't. I pushed and screamed at the top of my lungs. I knew I was going to push through the wall eventually. I clenched my eyes shut and screamed. The demon was gone. I left in silence. I turned around slowly and was greeted by the room as it was when I entered. Just a chair and just a lamp. I couldn't believe it, but I didn't have time to dwell. I turned back to the seven and jumped back slightly. What I saw was a door. It wasn't the one I had scratched in the door, but a regular door with a large seven on it. My whole body was shaking. It took me a while to turn the knob. I just stood there for a while, staring at the door. 
I couldn't stay in room six. I couldn't. But if this was only room six, I couldn't imagine what seven had in store. I must have stood there for about an hour, just staring at the number seven. Finally, with a deep breath, I twisted the knob and opened the door to room seven. I stumbled through the door, mentally exhausted and physically weak. The door behind me closed and I realized where I was. I was outside. Not outside like room five, but actually outside. My eyes stung. I wanted to cry. I fell to my knees and tried, but I couldn't. I was finally out of that hell. I didn't even care about the prize that was promised. I turned and saw that the door I just went through was the entrance. I walked to my car and I drove home thinking of how nice a shower sounded. As I pulled up to my house, I felt uneasy. The joy of leaving No End House had faded and dread was slowly building in my stomach. I shook it off as residual from the house and made my way to the front door. I entered and immediately went up to my room. There on my bed was my cat, Baskerville. He was the first living thing I had seen all night and I reached to pet him. He hissed and swiped at my hand. I recoiled in shock as he had never acted like that. I thought, whatever, he's an old cat. I jumped in the shower and got ready for what I was expecting to be a sleepless night. I think that's fair. Um, (laughs) After my shower, I went into the kitchen to make something to eat. I descended the stairs and turned into the family room. What I saw would be forever burned into my mind, however. My parents were laying on the ground, naked and covered in blood. They were mutilated to near unidentifiable states. Their limbs were removed and placed next to their bodies, and their heads were placed on their chests facing me. The most unsettling part was their expressions. They were smiling, as though they were happy to see me. I vomited and sobbed there in the family room. I didn't know what had happened. They didn't even live with me at the time. I was a mess, and then I saw it. A door that was never there before. A door with a large eight scrawled on it in blood. I was still in the house. I was standing in my family room, but I was in room seven. The faces of my parents smiled wider as I realized this. They weren't my parents. They couldn't be, but they looked exactly like them. The door marked eight was across the room behind the mutilated bodies in front of me. I knew I had to move on, but at that moment I gave up. The smiling faces tore into my mind. They grounded me where I stood. I vomited again and nearly collapsed. Then the hum returned. It was louder than ever, and it filled the house and shook the walls. The hum compelled me to walk. I began to walk slowly, making my way closer to the door and the bodies. I could barely stand still, let walk alone. And the closer I got to my parents, the closer I came to suicide. The walls were now shaking so hard it seemed as though they were going to crumble, but still the faces smiled at me. As I inched closer, their eyes followed me. I was now between the two bodies, a few feet from the door. The dismembered hands clawed their way across the carpet toward me, all the while faces continued to stare. New terror washed over me as I walked faster. I didn't want to hear them speak. I didn't want the voices to match those of my parents. They began to open their mouths, and the hands were inches from my feet. In a dash of desperation, I lunged toward the door, threw it open, and slammed it behind me. I was in room eight. I was done. After what I had just experienced, I knew there wasn't anything else in this fucking house that it could throw at me that I couldn't live through. There was nothing short of the fires of hell that I wasn't ready for. Unfortunately, I underestimated 
Sorry. Unfortunately, I underestimated the abilities of No End House. Unfortunately, things got more disturbing, more terrifying, and more unspeakable in room eight. I still have trouble believing what I saw in room eight. Again, the room was a carbon copy of rooms three and six, but sitting in the, unus- in the usually empty chair was a man. After a few seconds of disbelief, my mind finally accepted the fact that the man that was sitting in the chair was me. Not someone who looked like me. It was David Williams. I walked closer. I had to get a better look, even though I was sure of it. He looked up at me, and I noticed tears in his eyes. Please, please don't do it. Please don't hurt me. What? I asked. Who are you? I'm not going to hurt you. Yes, you are. He was sobbing now. You're going to hurt me, and I don't want you to. He sat in the chair with his legs up and began rocking back and forth. It was actually pretty pathetic looking, especially since he was me, identical in every way. Listen, who are you? I was only a few feet from my doppelganger. It was the weirdest experience yet, standing there talking to myself. I wasn't scared, but I would be soon. Why are you? You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. If you want to leave, you're going to hurt me. Why are you saying this? Just calm down, all right? Let's try and figure this. And then I saw it. The David sitting down was wearing the same clothes as me, except for a small red patch on his embroidered shirt with the number nine. You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. Don't, please. You're going to hurt me. My eyes didn't leave that small number on his chest. I knew exactly what it was. The first few doors were plain and simple, but after a while they got a little more ambiguous. Seven was scratched into the wall by my own hands. Eight was marked in blood above the bodies of my parents. But nine, this number was on a person, a living person. Worse still, it was on a person that looked exactly like me. David, I had to ask. Yes, you're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. He continued to sob and rock. He answered to David. He was me right down to the voice. But that nine. I paced around for a few minutes while he sobbed in his chair. The room had no door and similarly to room six, the door I came through was gone. For some reason, I assumed that scratching would get me nowhere this time. I studied the walls and the floors around the chair, sticking my head underneath and seeing if anything was below. Unfortunately, there was. Below the chair was a knife. Attached was a tag that read, To David, from management. The feeling in my (laughs) stomach as I read that tag was something sinister. I wanted to throw up, and the last thing I wanted to do was remove that knife from under that chair. The other David was still sobbing uncontrollably. My mind was spinning into an attic of unanswerable questions. Who put this here and how did they get my name? Not to mention the fact that as I knelt on the cold wood floor, I also sat in that chair, sobbing in protest of being hurt by myself. It was all too much to process. The house and the management had been playing with me this whole time. My thoughts for some reason turned to Peter and whether or not he got this far. If he did, if he met a Peter Terry sobbing in this very chair, rocking back and forth, I shook those thoughts out of my head. They didn't matter. I took the knife from under the chair, and immediately the other David went quiet. David, he said in my voice, what do you think you're going to do? I lifted myself from the ground and clenched the knife in my hand. I'm going to get out of here. David was still sitting in the chair, though he was very calm now. He looked at me with a slight grin. I couldn't tell if he was going to laugh or strangle me. Slowly, he got up from the chair and stood facing me. It was uncanny. His height and even the way he stood matched mine. 
I felt the rubber hilt of the knife in my hand and gripped it tighter. I don't know what I was planning on doing with it, but I had a feeling I was going to need it. Now, his voice was slightly deeper than my own. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to keep you here. I didn't respond. I just lunged and tackled him to the ground. I had mounted him and looked down, knife poised and ready. He looked up at me, terrified. It was like I was looking in a mirror. And then the hum returned, low and distant, though I still felt it deep in my body. David looked up at me as I looked down at myself, with the hum getting louder and I felt something inside me snap. With one motion, I slammed the knife into the patch on his chest and ripped down. Blackness fell on the room and I was falling. The darkness around me was like nothing I'd experienced up to that point. Room four was dark, but it didn't come close to what was completely engulfing me. I wasn't even sure if I was falling after a while. I felt weightless, covered in dark. Then a deep sadness came over me. I felt lost, depressed, and suicidal. The sight of my parents entered my mind. I knew it wasn't real, but I had seen it, and the mind has trouble differentiating what is real and what isn't. The sadness only deepened. I was in room nine for what seemed like days, the final room, and that's exactly what it was, the end. No end house had an end, and I had reached it. At that moment, I gave up. I knew I would be in that in-between state forever, accompanied by nothing but darkness. Not even the hum was there to keep me sane. I had lost all senses. I couldn't feel myself. I couldn't hear anything. Sight was completely useless here. I searched for a taste in my mouth and found nothing. I felt disembodied and completely lost. I knew where I was. This was hell. Room nine was hell. Then it happened. A light. One of those stereotypical lights at the end of the tunnel. I felt ground come up from below me and I was standing. After a moment or two of gathering my thoughts and senses, I slowly walked toward that light. As I approached the light, it took form. It was a vertical slit down the side of an unmarked door. I slowly walked through the door and found myself back where I started, the lobby of No End House. It was exactly how I left it, still empty, still decorated with childish Halloween decorations. After everything that had happened that night, I was still wary of where I was. After a few moments of normalcy, I looked around the place trying to find anything different. On the desk was a plain white envelope with my name handwritten on it. Immensely curious, yet still cautious, I mustered up the courage to open the envelope. Inside was a letter, again handwritten. David Williams, congratulations. You have made it to the end of No End House. Please accept this prize as a token of a great achievement. Yours forever. Management. With the letter were five $100 bills. I couldn't stop laughing. I laughed what seemed like hours. I laughed as I walked out to my car. I laughed as I drove home. I laughed as I pulled into my driveway. I laughed as I opened my front door to my house. And I laughed as I saw the small 10 etched into the wood. Oh, crazy. <laughs> that is so fucked up. I was reading this and I was like, this is so fucked up. And then you read yours, and I was like, Laura wins. And then you told yours, and I was like, yeah. Laura wins. You had the most fucked up. I think you had the most fucked up creepypasta. But they're like the... What would you do if your mind... Like, if it was you... Like, that's just the whole... So all the rooms were shitty. Right. Mm -mm. Like, that one... I like that one because it's very, like, twisted, kind of... 
Yeah. Yeah. Like the parents one creep was really disturbing because I wrote this a month ago. And when I was writing, I was reading it and I was like, oh my God, this is so fucked. And I had forgotten a lot of it because. Yeah. Mine is just grotesque. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You for sure win. Um, so yeah, guys, happy belated Halloween. Um, we hope you enjoyed these stories. If you um, aren't familiar with what creepy pastas are, essentially they are um, fictitious stories that sort of get published online and then they're sort of added upon. Laura, correct me if I'm wrong. They're kind of added upon by other people and they're just made into these terrifying stories that sort of then are so believable that they are people think that they're actually real slender man is a good um example of a very famous creepypasta um bloody mary is like an old school one that we is all like a, around right yes yes absolutely um light as a feather stiff as a board is probably another one um but with the internet they have taken on lives of their own and um become real stories become real stories that people genuinely believe in um black eyed kids is another one and we have covered black eyed kids on the show um slender man is one where a couple of girls in i can't remember what state iowa or somewhere indiana Mm -hmm. believed in slender man so wholeheartedly that they um lured their friend these are like 13 14 year old girls and this is a real true crime story. They lured a friend of theirs out into the woods and stabbed her multiple times because they were trying to appease or please Slender Man. Mm-hmm. So it's just um, a very extreme example of how some people can believe that these stories are truly real. Um there is an argument that maybe some of these stories could, because they've caught so much traction and so many people believe in them, that they're kind of like, they're, they become real because there's so much energy energy put into believing that they're real. It's a, a thing called a tulpa. And that's mm-hmm. when something that is myth or legend or lore... Um, becomes real because you want it to be real. Because you want it to be real. Um, mm-hmm. If that were the fucking case, then Jason Momoa would be here at my door with an engagement ring because I really want that to be real. Um, so far, no. But yeah, so maybe we'll do an episode on tulpas and just kind of dive a little deeper into that. But happy belated Halloween, guys. Um, hopefully you are hella creeped out. I am. I, I, I'm going to need sleeping pills to get to sleep tonight um, because these were woof. Laura, great job on yours. That was. Thank you. Same. Same. Thank you. Thank you. I was super. Yeah. I wasn't even like making a peep. I'm just like, oh, tell me more. Tell me the whole Dude, story. <laughs> and I wasn't even making a peep with yours either. I was like, I, except for when I like literally could not not shout. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. That's what I when I read. Are you all right? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? I'm like, no, this part is done. <laughs> I was like, wow, she's really invested. Um. So yeah. Anyway, happy Halloween, guys. We love you so much. Um. I will get my Laura uh TikTok out. Uh, soon, hopefully. And um, anyway, that's all I've got. Laura, I have missed you so much. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. I'm not sure what that is. I'll text you, Laura, because I don't know if you know what it is. Um, I think I do. Do you? Okay. Okay. 
Oh, I think I do too. I remember now. Um, I think you guys will like it. And we will be back with our short stories next week as well. Limp with us to the finish line of this year, you guys. It's been a rough year for us uh, here at the podcast uh, with our families and things like that. But um, you guys are what sustain us and keep us going. And so we're very, very grateful. So 2024 will um, will be a better year for our all of us for the podcast, Laura. I feel it. I believe it. And uh, let's make it, you know, turn it into a tulpa and make it so. All right. Love it. All right. Do you have anything you want to add before we bounce out of here? No, sorry. I'm having a slight allergy thing going on. Slight. Like muting myself and sneezing. (laughs) All right. Well, as we say here, guys, stay safe out there because you never know who. Or what Russian creepy test subject or creepy door you might be walking into that you're not familiar with the door you never know when any of those things are watching or listening so be safe we love you and we will see you next week pinky swear also don't forget to catch me on hillbilly horror stories bye guys bye